Josiah, verse 14, he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images, filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place, he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. So, you know, would to God that we had young people today with this same kind of heart. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. King Josiah was so diligent in his reforms that he took down altars located in the former kingdom of Israel. He removed the pagan altar at Bethel that Jeroboam set up hundreds of years earlier. Politically speaking, this was possible because the Assyrian Empire was weak in the days of Josiah. Josiah can intervene in these areas that were subject to the Assyrian Empire because they were concerned with other things and could not stop him. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Burn the priests... Um, and we'll find out that later when he gets to Bethel. He actually burned the bones of the priests that were offering these false to these false gods. He would actually burn their bones on that altar and defiling the altar. And, um, and, and that'll be later. But he defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. And, you know, as we go through this, aren't you amazed at just the detail that we have here? Because a lot of people think that this is just um, a story or this really wasn't real. But as you read this, it's defining very specific places, isn't it? It's, it's telling us very specifically where these things are because they were very real. The, the, the Bible is real. Everything in it is real. You can put your trust in the Word of God. But let me ask you, do you trust the Word of God? Or do you like some things and then you tear out other parts of the Bible, you know, and you're like, I don't like that. Or do you believe it all? Because Jesus put his stamp of approval on everything here. He did. And if he is God and we believe him, then this is his Word. He's able to communicate to us, Amen. If he's God, he's able to move on the hearts of people to write these things down and also to allow his word to be preserved over hundreds and even a few thousand years. And he's done a very good job at that. Haven't you seen that? He's preserved it for us. It is the word of God. It's the only true thing you have in your life. Everything else around you, not so much. But the word of God abides forever and it's true. And you can bank everything on it. You don't have to make a. You don't have to make. A, certainly, don't be ashamed of it. Don't make a, make up stuff to cover for it. It's the truth. And the more time goes on, the more it becomes even truer. 
<laughs> because things are, the, the world is, is playing out things where it's like, I can't believe it. The Word of God told us that. And here, here we are. And we are at that place. We're getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus for the church. Are you looking forward to that? Looking forward to it. So verse 9, nevertheless, the priests. Notice, even though all the, this revival is going on, this reformation, nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. So here they are, these, these uh, certain priests. They weren't doing their priestly duties, but they were enjoying the priestly provisions. And what's interesting to me is God refers to these priests in Ezekiel's prophecy. Speaking of a time yet future even to us in the millennial reign of Christ. I want to share something with you just to encourage you. Because Ezekiel, um, by the Spirit of God, God is talking about these priests at this time, who went after these false gods. And they were evidently, you know, because they, 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 they had these faults and, and issues. But let me just read to you. You might want to put off to the margin of your Bible, Ezekiel 44, verses 10 through 14. And let me just read it to you. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. But speaking of these priests, look at how gracious God is. Now, these are Levites, and, 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 and at, there were times in, in Judah's history where they weren't following the Lord, but yet God loved them, and he gave them a special place. And he's even going to give them a special place in the millennial kingdom when they are resurrected. They're all dead now. They've been dead for hundreds of years. But God is going to resurrect them because there's a resurrection when Jesus comes to the earth Daniel 12, verse 2 tells us that the Old Testament saints will be raised at that time. And that includes these priests who weren't following the Lord, and rather they were following and, and serving Baal. But notice what happens. Let me just read it to you. And, the, and here it is, Ezekiel, speaking of an event of the millennial reign that's you know um, distant from us now, yet... Maybe not too distant. We'll find out. But the Levites who went far from me, verse 10, when Israel went astray, who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary. Now, he, Ezekiel's talking about a sanctuary that doesn't exist yet. Because the temple had been destroyed in 586. And Ezekiel was contemporary at that time. He himself got taken captive into Babylon as well. And he's writing from there, speaking of another temple that's going to come yet in the future. And it is the millennial temple that uh, chapters 40 through 47 of Ezekiel detail specifically how it's going to look and everything. But notice what he says about the priests. He says, yet they shall be ministers. Even these ones who strayed away from me after their idols, they shall bear their iniquity. Verse 11, yet they shall be ministers in my sanctuary as gatekeepers of the house and ministers of the house. They shall slay the burnt offering and the sacrifice, notice, for the people. They shall stand before them 
to minister to them, because they ministered to them before their idols and caused the house of Israel to fall into iniquity. Therefore I have raised my hand in an oath against them, says the Lord God, that they shall bear their iniquity, and they shall not come near me to minister to me, As priest, nor come near any of my holy things, nor into the most holy place, but they shall bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. Nevertheless, I will make them keep charge of the temple for all its work and all that has to be done in it. Is God a God of grace? (laughs) So even these priests of Levi who have died, God's going to give them an opportunity in the millennial reign to serve. But they're not going to serve in the holy place like the other priests. And you can read that chapter, and he, and he talks, God talks about the men who, were, who followed him wholly with all of their heart to do the right things. They shall serve me, God says. They shall stand before me. And, and all these pronouns are so specific. He says, these guys are going to serve them, the people. But these gems who didn't fall away from me, who didn't serve these other idols, they're going to serve me. They're going to be in the holy place and serve me. Do you see it? I love God because he's a God of grace. Even in this. So back in verse 10. And Josiah, it says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire to Molech. And Molech was this god that they would heat up in, 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 in this valley of Topheth. And it was in the southernmost part of Zion, which is right around the corner. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, uh, an area right to the south of Zion. And you can visit it today. And there's a road that actually goes around it. But back at that time, they would have these idolatrous practices where they would take and sacrifice children postpartum right on the altar of this molten image and the child would incinerate. And they would hear the cries of the, of the child and then the worshipers would scream louder to worship their God to cover up the screams of the child. And we're not that far off, are we, in America? Then he removed, so he removed this place called Topheth. And then he removed, verse 11, the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire and the altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which is his great-grandfather, I believe it was, or his great-great-grandfather, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord. The king broke down and pulverized there, threw their dust into the brook Kidron. And don't you just love this kid? I, I think of him just, you know, being so filled with the Spirit of God. He's just taking everything that was against God and just pulverizing it into powder. I love that. And do you think God was upset with that? Today, they would probably lock the guy up. But he had such a love for God, he pounded it all into powder. And he had the right to because he was the king over Jerusalem and over Judah. He had the right to do it. So the king, verse 13, defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which are on the south of the Mount of Corruption. The Mount of Corruption is speaking of the Mount of Olives. So for those who are in Israel, right at the, at the southern part of David's uh, citadel where the Zion would be, you look over east... Uh, and, and there's the Mount of Olives. Well, the southernmost part of that is where 
this occurred. It's called the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, notice verse 13, king of Israel, had built. And so Solomon, later in his life, remember he had a thousand different women in his life, and when he got older, they turned his heart against the Lord, and Solomon built for Ashtoreth the abomination of the Sidonians, and he built an, an altar for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the uh, people of Ammon. So Solomon built these places for idol worship on the south of the Mount of Olives. And right in your margin of your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 11, 4 through 7. 1 Kings 11, 4 through 7. Right there off to the side of verse 13. Let me read it to you. It says, For it was so, and this is speaking back when Solomon was king, that when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord as God, and as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord as did David his father. And so Solomon, um, and then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on a hill that is east of Jerusalem. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. So all of these things, you can see why it's called the Mount of Corruption. Because that's where all of these altars were. Because he had many women in his life, and to appease them, and they were all foreign wives. And so they come to him, and you can imagine, you know, looking all cute and everything. You know, they want to worship their God. And he's like, oh, sure, just, you know, have my guys build it, and no problem. We got all the gold and the silver. We'll just build it. And he did, and he did that, and he kept doing it. He started off really well, but he didn't finish well. But Solomon did repent at the end of his life. And he wrote Ecclesiastes as a tribute to his madness. But notice that Josiah, verse 14, he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images, filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made both that altar and the high place, he broke down and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. So, you know, would to God that we had young people today with this same kind of heart. But let me be clear about something. You know, um, I'm not talking about vandalizing and destroying public property, but rather tearing down of idols in their own hearts and in their own lives and getting rid of things in their lives that oppose God and that hinder them in their relationship with God. You're, you're within license if, if something belongs to you to get rid of it, right? This is not speaking. I'm not talking about going out and vandalizing things. We can't, by law, we can't see something that's horrible out in society and just go burn it, right? You, you can't do that. And God, you know, it's not your property. But if it's your property or stuff in your own house, then why don't you get rid of it? And that idol may not be a piece of wood or stone or metal. It could be something else. It could be a movie collection. It could be music. It could be something written in books or magazines. It could be a possession of yours that's keeping you from God. And instead of being a blessing to you, it's become an idol. You, you love it so much, you can't think of life without it. And everything is about that one thing. You polish it, you stain it, you do whatever you've got to do. And it, there's a difference between taking care of something and then being sick about it. You understand what I'm saying? 
And that's the difference. But Josiah, verse 16, he turned. So he's in Bethel now. He saw the tombs that were on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar. He defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed. So the man of God, who is he talking about here? You know, when you read the Bible and you see something like that, ask the question, man of God, who is he talking about? which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. And then he said, What gravestone is this that I see? And so the men of the city told him, It's the tomb of the man of God, who came from Judah and proclaimed these things, which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. And so they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. What is that talking about? Well, when we were in... um, 1 Kings chapter 13, we talked about this. So make a reference of that in your Bible because what had happened is here is a wonderful prophecy about Josiah given about 300 years before he was born during the reign of Jeroboam, Israel's first king. And remember, it was during the time, back at that time, when Jeroboam, being the first king of Israel, he erected, remember, those two golden calves and those two centers of worship, one in Bethel in the, in the middle of the country and one at Dan in the northern part of the country. And uh, in First Kings, I'm just going to read the first two verses and write it in your, in your uh, side of your Bible because you can go and read about who this man of God was. It says, Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel. And remember, this was written 300 years before Josiah was born. Notice what God did. It says in 1 Kings 13, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense, which he wasn't supposed to be doing. And then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests, Of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And then 300 years later, it literally came to pass. Isn't that crazy? And think about this Josiah's father has already passed from the scene, and he just happens to be there at the right time. He just happens to be at the right spot where these tombs are. He just happens to ask the right question, and somebody tells him, and he's like, Oh, and can you imagine going back? I, I, don't, I don't know if they had Kings uh, written at that time, because Kings, Kings was written actually while they were in the Babylonian captivity, but somebody had it written down somewhere, and they remembered, they told him about it, and God called him by name 300 years before he was born. Isn't that crazy? Is God outside of time? Does he know what your day is going to be like tomorrow? I mean, this ought to encourage you, right? Because when you read, and this is just one. I have some other examples here, but we don't have time. I mean, even Cyrus. He called Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 44, verses 28 through 45, verse 7. God called Cyrus by name 150 years before he was even born. And he would be the guy, the Persian king, who would allow the Jews to leave in captivity, from captivity, to go back to Jerusalem. A pagan king. And God called him by name and told him what he was going to do. And he didn't even know it until after the fact. 
How big is your God? <laughs> I love that about the Lord. Don't you? You just, you can't fool him. He knows everything. And so don't even sweat anything. And I think that's one of the things, one of the great joys of being a Christian is knowing that our, you know, even Moses, I think it was in Psalm 90, Lord, teach us to number our days and, and, and help us to understand, you know. And, and, and then you read like Psalm 139 and it talks about, Lord, oh Lord, David speaking. He says, oh Lord, you know my words afar off. You know my thoughts afar off. Before I even think of them, before I even speak, you know it altogether. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can't even attain it. I am totally blown That's the God that we serve. And I think sometimes we forget who God is. I forget who God is. I forget that he's almighty God. I I tend to put him on the plane because we're so used to dealing with people and I'm I'm praying to God like I'm praying to an equal or or somebody maybe more like an aged grandfather. Oh, but he's so much bigger and greater than all of that. He's the one who spoke it all into existence. He's the one you can go to with impossibilities. And you can pray. And he can bring those impossibilities to pass. And he has, and he continues to do it to this day. Is there anything too big for your God? Is there anything you're going through right now that's so big that you can't, you won't even ask him because you're afraid to, because you don't really think he can do it? Well, listen, he can do it if it's his will. He's not a genie in a lamp. I can say, you know, give me that lottery ticket. You know, the Powerball's up to six hundred and seventy-five million. After taxes, I'm thinking like three fifty in cash. He's not a genie in a lamp. If it's his will. Verse nineteen. Now Josiah also took away all the shrines, the chapels, or the temples of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. And he executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars. Notice and burned men's bones on them, fulfilling the prophecy of the man of God back in First Kings thirteen. And then he returned to Jerusalem. <laughs> I like that. He did all these things, fulfilling prophecy, doing great things, and he returned to Jerusalem. No big deal. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Sometimes the most significant things just seem to be so normal and natural. And, you know, like Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey. I'm sure at the time it seemed a little odd to people that he'd be riding in on a donkey, but it was just kind of a natural thing, and he arranged it, made arrangements, rode in the donkey, and they had no idea. Most of them didn't know that one of the most significant prophecies ever was fulfilled. In that moment, he said, This your day, but you didn't know it. And yet it was just I wonder what the day was like. Do you ever wonder? You know, it's like if you could rewind and go back. I, I think like that because I'm a nut. I, I think back and I'm like, Lord, I would just like to go back at that moment and be invisible, standing there watching this whole thing and taking, in the, taking it all in. Taking all in the people laying the palm fronds and, and taking it in, seeing you and maybe even walking alongside the donkey as you're going and just being amazed and, and, and feeling the temperature of the air and the smell of the... The, the, the fragrant flowers or whatever, the desert, whatever it is that's going on, just smelling and taking that all in. And it was just so significant. And yet nobody, nobody knew it.
That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.